the author of A Front Porch for All People, Reverend John Edgar, joins Bishop Julius C. Trimble for a conversation about the divine economy of abundance in a sustainable mixed-income community on episode number 51 of the To Be Encouraged podcast. You are welcome to be encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. Bishop Trimble is on a mission to encourage you with the love of Jesus Christ so you can rise to your highest potential. On To Be Encouraged, Bishop Trimble speaks to a discouraged world with a good word on the pandemic, racism, the environment, human sexuality, and the state of the church, with a focus on centering your life on the love of Jesus Christ. Has there ever been a more needed time for an encouraging word to our world? This is your time to rise to your greatest potential and to be encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Tremble. Hello, good people, and welcome to To Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trumbull, the Episcopal leader of the Indiana area of the United Methodist Church. This is the podcast where we look to offer an encouraging word to an often discouraged world. I'm your co-host, Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. In this episode, episode number 51 of To Be Encouraged, we welcome to our show, Reverend John Edgar. He's the author of A Front Porch for All People and is the founding pastor and the pastor emeritus of the United Methodist Church for All People in Columbus, Ohio, as well as the founding executive director of Community Development for All People and is on the adjunct faculty of the Methodist Theological School in Ohio. Our conversation today begins with a discussion of Reverend Edgar's Life of Faith his call to ministry and his call to follow, be a follower of Jesus Christ, and what eventually led him to founding the Church for All People in Columbus, Ohio. And we talk also about the special nature of the church in terms of its flagship program, a free store, a store which offers free clothing and goods to all people, and is, was the beginning of a whole system of servicing the needs of people in the community. And he talks about it in terms of the concept of the divine community of abundance. It's just understanding that there is an abundance of, God, of, of, of everything in God's economy, and it's wrapped up in God's grace. This is an important conversation as we understand these concepts that he brings about in his book, The Front Porch for All People. Once you know, you can find that book at frontporchbook.com. This is episode, uh, first part of a two-part episode about uh, with uh, Reverend John Edgar. In this episode, as I mentioned, episode 51, we're going to unpack some of the concepts and beginning to understand the impact of the mission of the Front Porch for All, of of the Front Porch for All People concepts in the community where they serve. In episode 52, when we come back, we're going to talk about the application and the implementation 
of this understanding of the front porch for all people to your community and to your church and to your neighborhood, no matter where you're at, and understanding further the nature of a sustainable mixed income community and a divine economy of abundance and its application in your community. So you're going to stay tuned or come back to us in episode number 52. This is a great conversation. His name is Reverend John Edgar. Fascinating guy. Great discussion that Bishop Trimble and I have with Reverend Edgar. The book is a front porch for all people. Hello again, good people, and welcome to To Be Encouraged, the podcast with Bishop Julius C. Trimble of the Indiana Air United Methodist Church, which is all about giving an encouraging word to an often discouraged world. We have a special guest with us today who's going to be talking about his new book and about his life in ministry. His name is Reverend John W. Edgar. He is the founding pastor and the pastor emeritus of the United Methodist Church for All People, which is in Columbus, Ohio. He's also the founding executive director of Community Development for All People, and he's on the uh, faculty, the adjunct faculty of Methodist Theological School in Ohio. We're going to hear a lot more in a few minutes about the community development of, for all people and what that's all about and about his story. But we welcome John to the podcast. And Bishop, would you give me, would you help us welcome John to the podcast here today? Well, well welcome to my friend, John Edgar, and so pleased uh, to connect with you. Uh, it's been a little while. We're glad to have you on the podcast and look forward to ways in which you can help bless hundreds, if not thousands of people as a result of this conversation. Well, delighted, Bishop, to be with you and Brad and looking forward to the conversation. Indeed, it is a pleasure and a privilege, uh, John and, and Bishop Trimble, to have this conversation about matters that matter. But we like to uh, kind of most of the time, John, we like to start our conversations with matters of faith. And so I'd like to hear about your faith journey, maybe a little bit how you came to Christ in the first place and how your life led you eventually to become the pastor of the church for all people and what led out of that to the what you're involved with now. Sure. Uh, I'm one of those folks who did not grow up in church uh, until the age of 12, I really had no formal religious experience. I, I grew up in a house where no one ever prayed and no one talked about the Bible or faith. At the age of 12, um, for reasons I can't explain other than curiosity, or if I want to sound really spiritual, that somehow God's spirit was moving in me when I didn't know it. Uh, but at age 12, I decided to try to figure out what church was about. And so I walked from my home to a large church that I knew was there uh, a little less than a mile away. I didn't know it at the time, but when I walked in the front door of the Kirkwood Methodist Church uh, in a suburb of St. Louis, I was entering the largest Methodist church in the state of Missouri. And, uh, and so that's where I got to start. I was a very shy child, and, and it is simply true that for about 10 months, I went every Sunday and I sat in the second row from the front, Bishop. Nobody ever was in the front row, and I was the only person in the second row. And there was an older couple, the only folks in the third row. It was this gigantic sanctuary. And it's probably selective memory, but for that whole 10 months, the only people I ever remember speaking to were the old couple behind me. I was just lost in the crowd of all these folks. But to move my whole story along, um, 
I then uh, went into junior high school. And in the first week of junior high school, I met this boy named Billy McDougal. And we got to talking and and I, and, uh, I said, I, I go to the uh, Kirkwood Methodist Church. He said, that's my church too. And and so anyway, this kid invited me to actually go to Sunday school and to youth group with him. And my life began to change. Uh, I became someone who was excited uh, to be involved in confirmation class. I got a Bible and, and all kinds of things. And my family moved around a lot. And um, when I was entering 10th grade, my family moved to a small town in Ohio, Yellow Springs, where Antioch College is located. And I started to go to the Methodist church there. And after two years, my family moved again. My father took a position as a professor in uh, the University of New Orleans. I was 17 and I did not want to move anymore. And again, to condense this story, um, as I was searching for opportunities, my friends and I thought it'd be good for me to move in with some of them. Their parents weren't so excited about having another 17-year-old boy. Uh, so in desperation, I went to see the Methodist pastor uh, in that little town, uh, Jack Theodore, and I explained I wanted to stay, and he had to know some widow that would love to have a teenager to rake leaves and do all that stuff. Uh, and uh, when I was gone, he called my parents and asked if they really were going to let me do this. And they said yes, if I could find a place. So I moved in with Jack Theodore. So my goal of being an emancipated teenager at 17 turned into living in the parsonage. You know? and, um, but at that point, I had no idea what a pastor did. And I watched Jack uh, over just four or five months initially. And I was just really impressed. I was serious about my faith. But I had no idea what pastors did and being in a different family environment. So anyway, uh, I turned 18 in February of 1971. And that same month, I stood before the official board of the Yellow Springs United Methodist Church and declared I wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to be just like Jack Theodore. And uh, and um, that sense of call uh, has expanded, you know, evolved. But never second guess that uh, that's what I wanted to do. So that's how I got started. And then um, I had the, the good fortune to um, go to seminary at Harvard Divinity School. But during those three years, I worked in the inner city of Boston as an assistant um, pastor in a church that's um, uh, called actually the Church of All Nations. And uh, um, that helped shape my understanding of ministry that can always be an intersection of congregational care and development with transformation and community development. And I've tried to live into that sense in various ways. Mm-hmm. Well, Bishop, I know you want to ask John several things, but I did want to mention before we do that, he is the author of a new book called A Front Porch for All People. And we'll talk some more details about that during our conversation today. Bishop? Yeah, that's kind of what I want to talk about. Uh, I've known I've known John Edgar. I want to say a long time. We haven't been worked directly close, but I was in in Ohio for 20 years before I was elected a bishop. I was in East Ohio and he was in West Ohio. We both were district superintendents around the same time. I was a, D, a district superintendent from '96 to 2003, and then went back to a local church. Uh, basically, I spent 20 years in Cleveland and our, our children who all were born in Illinois think that Cleveland is their home. And so 
But uh, uh, but so I've known John for a long time. He's the kind of person, Brad, that uh, even if I, I didn't know him real real closely, but if he got up to speak at a jurisdictional conference or a general conference, I pretty much said, I, whatever he's going to say, I'm pretty much going to support John because <laughs> he's he's started through. He's he started through, and he's compassionate enough to 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 to, to want to see the see see more inclusion both in the church and and transformation in the world. So uh, this book really resonated with me also, Brad, and because I had a chance, I don't remember what year it was actually, but uh, I think it was when the Council of Bishops were meeting in Columbus. I had a chance to go, go to the Church for All People, see the free store, wow. uh, actually experience a worship, at a worship experience, then was invited back to speak at, a, at an event, uh, I think in 2015, uh, and so I saw that this was, I don't know, this was obviously it is, it is, it has matured since, since I was there. So, so I was excited when I got a copy of the book and the mail and the letter and I meant, and I've been out of town, Brad, I would have sent you this, uh, introduction cause I, this is a lot of, I have it, Bishop. I have it. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, front porch for all people. Uh, but you, you, you began even in the dedication to say the reason you've written this book and and I don't I'm somewhat paraphrasing, but this is mostly a quote to to all who yearn to dwell in an inclusive, on an inclusive front porch, but also those who care enough to do something about creating collusive. Uh, and and I think this speaks more. This is not just about church, but really about community and even dare I say beloved community. So you start off before the before people start reading the book to say. This book is dedicated uh, to all who yearn. What do you? What, can you say a word about that? People yearning, are people yearning. I grew up where we had front porches, especially when our, our family, when we would go south, down south, we had a front porch and a back porch with 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 chairs that looked like the chairs that are on the front of this front of this book. So, uh, and I grew up even I grew up in in Chicago in the inner city, but we we had a front porch experience. We had a neighborhood experience. So, so, so say a word about that. Why, why you wrote the book and, and, and do, and is it your belief that people are yearning for this kind of experience? Uh, absolutely, Bishop. Um, I, I did write the book in, in part to tell the story of the 20 years that I and others have worked closely with folks in the inner city neighborhood called the South Side of Columbus to build an inclusive community. Again, this intersection of congregational development and community development. Uh, for me, um, what I am trying to communicate when I say I wrote it for folks that yearn for that kind of inclusive community and actually care enough about it to then do something. Uh, almost all of my ministry had been spent in uh, in, in urban neighborhoods, transitional neighborhoods, um, I, churches with a mixture of white and black folks. And, and what we're doing on the South side is we are finding ways to bring people together initially with real simple direct service programs. We, we operate a free store, which is pretty much what the name suggests, a store where everything is free and anybody can come and shop, no eligibility requirements. Uh, we have a large fresh market where 30,000 folks receive um, healthy uh, fruits and vegetables to eat healthier, and we develop housing. But what I'm trying to get at in the book 
is the simple notion that there are a few key things we can choose to do that will enable us to transcend the things that often separate us in our society now of race and wealth and, and age and, and even you know, uh, sexual identity and all kinds of other things. We can uh, create environments in which we bring people together, have positive experiences, and then out of that experience, we can draw people to worship, but also into um, transformed ways of living together. You know, part of what we have done is we've built over $100 million worth of affordable housing. And that means this neighborhood where we've been able to remove almost all the blight can also stay um, an opportunity rich community where many people, even low income people, can still have a place to call home as the blight and the negative influences go, go away. And maybe one other thing, you know, Bishop, just picking up on what you said, I, I chose the title of a front porch because just as you said, Bishop, front porches um, in many places, and certainly urban neighborhoods, uh, are that gathering point. Uh, I remember it was actually Bishop Palmer, uh, the bishop in the West Ohio area, who made an observation. He said, you know, there was a day when everybody gathered on the front porch and then he was being playful. But then he said, you know, people got more money. They moved to the suburbs and now they hang out on the back porch with a privacy fence to keep everybody else away. You know, uh, but on the front porch, you know, is where we meet our neighbors, where we can uh, build relationships that bridge differences. And I think that is uh, to pick up on your podcast title. That's how we can become encouraged. You know, there are discouraging things in our world. There are all kinds of social and racial inequities. Those are real and should never be discounted. But they don't define the, you know, the aspiration of the human spirit. You know, we long for community and we can do really simple things that draw different people together. Then we can learn and grow and worship and pray together. And, you know, the church that I had the uh, privilege of leading till I retired this past summer is in many ways the most diverse United Methodist church in the country, at least that intersection of race and, and social class. You know, the, um, the church is about half white, half black, just like the neighborhood. Two thirds of the people who are members of the church have income below the poverty level. Um, and we're all in there together. Uh, and there is an energy and joy that creates. You got any rich folks that are, uh, that are worshiping? <laughs> you know, some some quiet millionaires. It doesn't hurt if you got a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a couple of those real wealthy uh, folks. But as we sometimes talk about in our church, you know, we pay all of our apportionments. You know, we've never had financial trouble. And I'm, yeah, uh, yeah. But the secret in that, Bishop, I'll keep this real brief, is that we have so many low-income people who choose to give sacrificially, that true, that widow's might, you know, and that that somewhere between inspires or shames the middle-class folks like myself to think, oh, my goodness, if, if that person is willing, when the, and it's true, we had a missionary come from North Katanga Conference, and at the end, a woman that I know lives on Social Security uh, gave $100, put it in my hand, said, go give it to those folks. And it's, it's a woman that doesn't even have a, a bank account, but, you know, she had that money at the end of the month. And and um, I've retold that story again to inspire or shame the rest of us, you know, into realizing we live inside a divine economy of abundance. We share what we have at multiple. 
Yes. Yeah, there, there's a. I was really interested, uh, John, that you got a, some terms you use in your book that I just think are important. We give a little definition to a little context to what you're talking about. One of those you've touched on one of them already, the front porch, and maybe we'll dig, dig a little deeper in that. But I'm interested in your term, a sustainable mixed income community, and I love that terminology. But help, would you unpack that for us to help us understand context of what is what you found there? and what the vision is to go to. Sure. So as I, I mentioned just in passing, you know, I, um, I've been a pastor for 45 years, and all of my time in the local church was spent in uh, what often uh, is referred to as transitional neighborhoods. In other words, these are neighborhoods where there was a mixture of white and black folks, but largely one group was moving in and another group was moving out. And a lot of that had to do with um, the economics of what was going on at the time. And so, you know, uh, um, it often um, wealthier people were moving away. People with less income were moving into neighborhoods. And, and that was dynamic. But the, what I'm getting at is that was not sustainable. In other words, you could take a snapshot and say, wow, this is an amazingly diverse neighborhood today. But it wasn't that way 10 years before and you go 10 years forward and and it's and it's flipped one way or the other uh, either disinvestment or gentrification and so on this what we're doing on the south side is while we're doing real simple things as a church community direct services worshiping together hanging out on a front porch we also are trying to look at some of those social forces and the reason we got involved in developing housing initially was in a neighborhood that was filled with vacant blighted properties. It, it was really tough. We had streets where uh, a third of the places uh, had been abandoned, but we formed partnerships. I won't in this moment get into that, but with groups like a large pediatric hospital down the street. And in a few years, we were able to buy up a lot of that property, fix it up, and the blight went away. Um, and it looked really great until we realized that when the blight was gone, there were all these social pressures for more wealthy people to move in. And the lower income people that we cared so much about were at risk of being pushed away. So we pivoted. And for the better part of the last decade, we decided with the hospital to become landlords at scale ourselves to ensure that we could make certain that the rent stayed affordable. And so part of talking about it being a sustainable, um, inclusive community is creating enough diversity in the housing that's available so that people all across the income spectrum can can move in, whether it's an apartment or a house, whether it's a rent, renting or owning. So that's one part of it. But then if I'm not taking too long in this moment, one of the other things that we learned along the way is that simply throwing people together who are different doesn't ensure that we build an inclusive or, Bishop, I think you were referring to a beloved community. In fact, there's a lot of sociological research that suggests that if you just throw very diverse people together, they scare each other and everybody retreats to their own corner and you, you actually accelerate social alienation. However, there is a secret sauce in this, that if you can create settings where people come together who are different but have positive experiences, then all of a sudden we have the opportunity to um, to bridge those differences and create a, a neighborhood that's inclusive and sustainable. Uh, 
And so part of us doing that was trying to have the church be one of those places where everybody comes together. And, and there's a, another term I use in a book called a third place that I borrowed from a, a renowned sociologist. It's this notion that the first place in your life is where you live. Second place is where you go to work. But we all have third places. It's where we hang out when we're not at work or we're not at home. Yeah, and that's what Starbucks yeah. calls itself. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yes. And if we can make those be places that draw diverse folks. And so that's why we got involved and launched social enterprises. We we operate a community bike shop that brings different kinds of people together. We take donated bicycles and we refurbish them and they're primary transportation for low income people. But we also are close to the wealthiest census tract in the city. And uh, a lot of people bike recreationally, you know, and have these little expensive bikes and we bring those folks together. We actually operate an art gallery that, that celebrates the art of uh, uh, people in the neighborhood, especially low income folks. And uh, just last week we opened a coffee shop, you know, uh, we're going to give Starbucks some competition, you know? And so, so always to bring these folks together, and then in the midst of that, maybe we'll get into it more later. What does it mean to then um, offer Christ in a way that can connect in settings which might seem secular, but where we can help people? And another phrase we talk a lot about, how do we help people touch God's grace? Yeah. Bishop, that sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? But uh, yeah, my question to you, Bishop, in reflecting with John is, is this repeatable? Is this something that can be done in other places? It sounds great, but it also sounds extremely difficult to pull off for many reasons. Uh, but Bishop, your thoughts about how this can be duplicatable? Well, I think it's, uh, I, I see pieces of this happening in Indiana and other places and, and even places, pieces of it in places where, where I've served as well. In fact, the, the, the book convinces convinces me that it is a pe not only repeatable because of the essential principles that John talks about, uh, which kind of carry throughout the book. Uh, one, the glasses have full, hospitality is radical, and grace is touchable, as he just made reference to. So I think, I think, it's, I think it's repeatable because uh, what I really like about J John's book uh, and, and his approach over a long period of time is that a lot of this is rooted in the Bible and an understanding of the Bible that the Bible is more than just important to you, John. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but based on me reading that, reading this, the Bible is more than important. You say it reveals God's nature and intentions. And one of those things that you, you clearly write significantly about is this notion of abundance. And we're going to leave that conversation right there as we begin, as uh, Bishop Trumbull begins to unpack this concept of his take on divine abundance. And we certainly learn more from John Edgar, what he understands about that. And we have a great discussion in episode number 52 about the implementation and the application and the duplication of what was learned at the Church for All People in Columbus, Ohio and the nature of a sustained uh, mixed-income community, and the nature of how it is understanding the biblical concept of a divine community of abundance. And it's all wrapped up in grace. We have a great conversation about grace in episode 52, so you're going to want to come back to us on, uh, for that episode. I do want to remind you that you can get uh, the book, 
a front porch for all people by going to frontporchbook.com. And we'll put connection and links so you can learn more about Reverend John Edgar in our show notes at tobeencouraged.com slash 051. To Be Encouraged podcast is all about offering an encouraging word to your life. We know we often live in moments that are discouraging in our world, in our churches, and all kinds of ways. And we love to tell encouraging stories like we had here today with Reverend John Edgar. We tell those kind of stories every week here on the To Be Encouraged podcast. And we, if you like what you hear, we encourage you to share it in your church, with your lay folks, with your pastors, or with other people in the United Methodist community. We are here to serve you. Bishop Julius C. Trimble is the Episcopal leader of the Indiana area of the United Methodist Church. And I'm Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, a retired uh, retired elder in the Indiana area of the United Methodist Church after serving 42 years in the local church. We are here to serve, and we love you. We love God, and we love the mission and ministry of the United Methodist Church to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. We hope that you'll join us next time here on To Be Encouraged. Until next time, then, this is Reverend Dr. Brad Miller speaking for Bishop Julius C. Trimble, encouraging you to always do all the good that you can. Consider yourself encouraged and appreciated for listening to Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. Now, please share the blessing and encourage others in your life to listen, to be encouraged. You can do just that by pointing your people to the website tobeencouraged.com. That's T-O-B-E-E-N-C-O-U-R-A-G-E-D.com. Or connect through Apple Podcast where you can follow, rate, and review To Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. When you do that, you're doing your part to bring a good word to a discouraged world. Remember to listen next week to Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. And never forget, God loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it.